Hello and welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks and I'm joined by the Nathan Jones at Stoked by Nathan Jones at Luton. It's Justin Peach. Good day to you, Ryan. Justin, how's it going? It's going very well, thank you. It's It's been a good week. The amount of games that uh, that were on this week caught me by surprise and then to learn there were League Cup games as well. Um, yeah, really strange, really strange. I do hope that the ITV highlights show start to be a bit more consistent with their schedule because it's really confusing as to when we can watch the highlights of the of the league action. What have you made of the ITV highlights show? I I compare everything to, to the golden era that I think is the golden era of Football League highlights and that's Manish Basin and Steve Claridge and the lady who read the emails. Um <laughs> I'm not I'm not a massive fan of it. Um the the jazz intro is a bit too jazzy for me. Um, but at the end of the day, I'm just there to watch football. I'm not there to to pander to the uh, presenters. Yeah, I I was more than happy to pander to the presenters if it meant that we got a gig being on the show. Um, <laughs> but that doesn't seem like it's happening. So <laughs> stuff. Um, it seems to be a bit of a step down from Quest, doesn't it? Where yeah. Colin Murray, bless his heart, was just fantastic and showed enthusiasm each week to give us everything we needed to know about the EFL. ITV, I don't get the same feeling about it. It feels like they just want to get eyes on the eyes on the programme without, you know, putting as much effort in, if you see what I mean. Yeah, Colin Murray would contextualise everything, wouldn't he? He would be sympathetic. Like, can you imagine ITV doing the same thing? You know, for example, Derby's plight, Wigan's plight. Um, administration, Swindon's as well. Can you imagine? Um, yeah, can you imagine ITV doing that same or having the same empathy and sympathy that uh, Colin Murray had throughout? I don't think that. I don't think I can imagine that. Actually, it's weird. I do miss Colin Murray's lovely Northern Irish accent as well, and just as just as general humour. Colin Murray's a lovely bloke. I mm. I'd love to meet him in person at some point, but uh, yeah, he he just brings something to presenting that I think a lot of other presenters lack. That's not to have a dig at the ITV presenters, just Colin Murray's just a, a special guy. Um, let's talk about the championship, Justin. <laughs> Welcome to the number one championship-specific podcast. He's second tier. Thank you for joining us wherever you are. Yes, we're going to talk about all the games from midweek, but we're going to kick things off with the big news from Luton that Nathan Jones looks to be on his way to Southampton. So we'll talk about that. As I say, talk about all the games that we've had in midweek. Talk about some of the other news from the championship over the past few days, and then we'll finish off with Diddy or Didn't He right at the end. But before we get underway... Let me tell you, listener, about our friends at FansBet, the fan-led sports betting company committed to supporting charities and causes which are important to fans. Do check them out by clicking the link in the description of the podcast and claim your 200% sports deposit bonus of up to £200. Terms and restrictions apply. Full details on site 18+. Please do gamble responsibly. Visit begambleaware.org for more info and do also check out FansBet Responsible Gambling Tools. So Southampton are close to appointing uh, Luton boss Nathan Jones as their new head coach. It's after the sacking of Ralph Harson-Hootel on Monday. Compensation has been agreed between the two clubs and Luton are already interviewing for replacements. Not a surprise, Justin, is it? that Luton, when you've got a youngish manager who's been as successful as Nathan Jones has, things like this are going to happen. What are you thinking with this? Yeah, obviously... 
I, I think it's been inevitable for a while that a club is going to come in and poach Jones. Um, I think you know, him going to Stoke was sort of the first instance of that, and I don't think he was as um, well in a good position or as good as position that he's in now, if that makes sense. Um, I think he's learned a lot from that time. I think he's learned a lot from being in a championship with Luton as well. Um, so I think it's I think it's the perfect time for Nathan Jones um, to, to go. I think he fits the bill. I think Southampton recruited a lot of players below uh, the age of 22 over the summer. Um, uh, they like to play a high press. They like to operate a high press. Um, so yeah, I think Nathan Jones ticks a lot of boxes. Um, obviously, there's the, the pressing football. There's the ability to develop youngsters. Um, working within a, a, a tighter budget, which is important for a team like Southampton, which is weird saying it, but they're not batting a along with the likes of um, even like the uh, wealthy clubs, just the wealthier clubs in the division. They've got to be a bit more frugal. Um, and I don't think it's that, I don't think it's as bad as perhaps some Luton fans might make out. I think they're in a really good position to to go out there and attract um, a really good manager to come in and, and pick up where Nathan Jones left off. Obviously, I think they'll be scarred from the Gray and Jones stint, but that shouldn't, um, I don't think that should put them off. I think the club are in a much better position now. I think Nathan Jones has earned the opportunity to manage in the Premier League, without a doubt for me. I don't think Luton fans can begrudge him this opportunity because it's his chance to manage a big club. I think it's easy to forget Southampton are a big club and manage them at the top level. Will it work out? I think so. I don't think Nathan Jones should be 100% to blame if Southampton were to go down this season, just because I think Southampton's squad is pretty poor by Premier League standards and I was actually uh, tipping Southampton to go down this season just because I think their recruitment this season has been terrible but Nathan Jones I think is a clever appointment by Southampton um, because he knows how to get the best out of young players he knows how to work on a budget so given time I think he will be a success there now people will point to his spell at Stoke and say that shows he can't do it at another club but it's not like he's the only manager who's underwhelmed at Stoke <laughs> since they've come down to the Championship. In fact, four out of four managers at the time of recording um, have failed ultimately at Stoke. So I don't think you can say that's an indicator of him um, and how he does at other clubs outside of Luton. So it's a shame he won't be able to continue the Luton project, but hopefully that can go on without him because I think he's left the club in a really, really good position. Uh, we're perhaps getting ahead of ourselves discussing who his replacement will be, <laughs> Justin, but Football League World is reporting Gary O'Neill is someone they're interested in. Thoughts on that one? He's done a really good job at Bournemouth and he surprised me. Um, I think if you consider... His, his football's been very pragmatic. It's been very... It's, getting, it's just getting the best out of the squad, which is far more... Um, he's done a far far better far better job than Scott Parker, is what I'm trying to say. Um, this isn't a time to dig at Scott Parker, but when you consider um, when you consider the circumstances and the reasons why Parker left and the goals they were conceding, O'Neill's um, shored that up and, and they've been getting points and results here and there. Um, so I think it would be a good appointment. Obviously, I, I I would like to have thought Bournemouth may have, may have offered him, may have offered him the job. Um, that isn't to be, but if if that isn't the case, and I think Luton should certainly line up and uh, and ask the question. But as as I was saying, they're in a really good position to go out and get a good coach. Uh, they'll they'll have they will have options which you might not have been able to say uh, too often in the past. They're a good, attractive club, good project, good 
recruitment well run they're perfect for 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 any manager who wants to come in and and, and take a club forward because that's where they're heading they're, they're heading forwards i'm not 100% confident Luton will be able to find the right successor purely for the two words that you mentioned earlier, Justin, Graham Jones. Now, non-Luton fans may not remember who he is, but he was the Luton manager in that strange period where Nathan Jones left to go to Stoke. Graham Jones did not work at all. And the fact is that aside from Nathan Jones, he's the only other example of Luton appointing managers. There's also Mick Harford, but he was more of a caretaker boss, really. So we'll have to wait and see. For me, Luton are one of the most well-run clubs in the country and have a brilliant record when it comes to recruiting players. So one would think they should be good at recruiting a manager. It's going to be very difficult for a manager to carry on the brilliant job that Nathan Jones has done um, because it has been such an amazing job. But he is leaving the club in an amazing place. One person who I think would be perfect for the role would be Neil Critchley, formerly the manager of Blackpool, more recently Stephen Gerrard's assistant at Villa. He did an amazing job at Blackpool in a very short space of time. And they did it on a small budget. I think it was even smaller than Luton's, actually. So it's similar to Nathan Jones. So he's not the kind of guy who will be banging on the chairman's door asking for more money. And he's very good at having a player and taking their game to the next level. When he was at Blackpool, I thought this guy was going to manage in the Premier League without a doubt. Alas, he made that bizarre decision to be Gerard's <laughs> assistant, which looks an even stranger move now. But he ticks all the boxes for me, so I'd be straight on the phone to him if I was Luton. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think Neil Critch is a, a, certainly a name I would, uh, I would be looking at. Um, I, I, I wrote a piece on it yesterday for, for our sponsors, Fansbet, and I thought about Valerian Ashmail, uh, Valerian Ashmail, uh, Ishmael, um, mainly because of the style of play, the need to get, your rep- get his reputation repaired. Um, and obviously, there's the, the Barnsley link with Woodrow and Morris as well. Um, so I think that's a that's a that's a potentially an ambitious appointment. But there are a lot of good coaches out there. I think Mark Bonner's been linked at Cambridge. He's done a really good job again, um, operating on a small budget, well beyond their means, and do, and doing well. Um, Rob Edwards. I know Luton fans might roll their eyes because he's ex Watford, but is he really ex Watford? Um, but he's a he's a he's a manager who played progressive, attacking style of put, football that involved that press um it's just whether or not he's got enough experience because obviously it didn't it didn't help help him at Watford um so I think there's there are really good coaches available out there um I think Luton are in a really good position to go out and get one they've got the pick of them uh, because as as we've said they're well run they've got a good squad and you don't have to change much to to get them successful I don't think Let's go around the midweek matches and in what's expected to be Nathan Jones' last game in charge of Luton. It's only fitting that he was given a send-off by losing against the club who hate him so very much. Stoke 2, Luton nil. Luton actually much the better side in this game, but not a great result to send Nathan Jones off with, was it? <laughs> no, it wasn't. I think um, I think it was just one of those games. I don't know whether the speculation impacted the players, but um, if you go back to that, win at the weekend against Blackpool they were defending everything in this one they didn't really defend very well I think Nick Powell had a free header um, I think the second goal I can't remember who scored it but again had a lot of time in the box to um, to, 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 to steer their header in um, yeah it was disappointing defensively from Luton's perspective and you know giving Stoke chances at home they're going to take them especially when I don't know it always feels like there's a a weird bit of needle between Stoke and Luton because of Nathan Jones and maybe that will will disappear now he's leaving which is a shame because it's a weird little rivalry that's developed Um, but if you give a team chances who have quality players like Stoke they're going to take them Um, and Nick Powell 
arrives late in the box, takes his chance. He does that. You just can't. You can't do that. And unfortunately, they didn't. Yeah, not the best send off for for Nathan Jones. I'm not sure saying Stoke giving them chances they'll take them applies to Stoke because there's been plenty mm. of games recently where they have had plenty of chances yeah. and they haven't taken them. So um, decorous sort of chance from Stoke fans of he's leaving again he's leaving again I'm sure will definitely wind Nathan Jones up quite <laughs> a bit um, so it'll be interesting to see how that how he takes that into the Southampton job uh, but it is just the second game in the last six where Stoke haven't lost so much needed results the problem continues to be consistency because there's been multiple cases of Stoke winning and me thinking to myself they'll get going now and then they don't We've played 20 games now. If you separate the season into four, five-game sections, uh, Stoke haven't managed more than two wins in any of those sections, which talks about how inconsistent they've been. But I did get very excited before this game, Justin, because one of my favourite players in the whole of the Championship made his long-awaited return in this game. Harry Souter missed the past year with a knee injury. Massive boost for Stoke. Up until the point he got injured, he was the best defender in the division last season, hands down for me. I was convinced this guy would be playing in the Premier League at this point, with or without Stoke. And it's easy to forget that Stoke were flying up until his injury, where the wheels well and truly came off. They had a 47% win rate uh, with him in the team. That dipped to 31% after his injury. But he's a mammoth in the air, reads the game brilliantly. And the most enjoyable part of his game is that he's like a quarterback in American football <laughs> playing those long diagonal balls to the wing back. So he's an unbelievable talent if he gets back to the levels that he was playing at before. Sometimes these long-term injuries can affect players, fingers crossed. That's not the case here. Final point on this game, there was an offside decision given. <laughs> it didn't stop a goal or a goal-scoring opportunity, but no one is even close to being offside. It's absolutely balmy. I have no idea what was going on there. Let's go to Bramwell Lane, where there was a big shock as Rotherham beat Sheffield United 1-0. A bit of a come down after thrashing Burnley at the weekend. This game is all Sheffield United. Rotherham defended well, go up the other end, score, and then defended for their lives in the second half. And I think that defending earned them the three points because they restricted Sheffield United to very little. Yeah, it was a really, really good performance. They were stubborn, um, Rotherham, and, and they've they've performed really well. I think over the past past few games against some tough teams. Uh, uh, like I said, I thought they should have got a result against Norwich with some of the chances they they created. But it was it, it was a positive performance. And I think Matt Taylor's come in and done a really good job. He's he's not changed too much. He's he's tried to keep it as consistent as possible. So the players are, are, are settled, and I think that's really really helping them. Um, they're organised, they're structured, and they've got a really really good spirit in in their, in their team. Um, and I think Matt Taylor cited Paul Warren um, as as a, as a big as a big um, yeah part part in that, and that yeah hugely uh, hugely helpful to, to to have that and to cultivate that and to, to carry that going because that's a that's a difficult thing to do especially when you're um, a new manager coming in from from um, from the lower leagues. But yeah, it was a really really good performance from Rotherham, and I think them taking advantage. I think Ben Wiles got a bit of stick at the weekend as well from from some Rotherham fans or a section of Rotherham fans that I saw. So it's good that he came in, um, scored the winner, and was captain of the team. And weirdly, I didn't realise this, but it was their first win at Bramall Lane. Rotherham's first win at Bramall Lane since 1980, which just yeah is, is bonkers. Fair play to him, Cameron Humphreys had a marvellous game, as did Lee Peltier and Peter Chioso. Defended like proper warriors, and while Sheffield United weren't great, they deserved the three points for their efforts alone. I think it says a lot about how well they defended that. 
it was backs to the wall for most of the game, but I can't really recall Victor Johansson having to make any particularly strenuous saves. That's how well they limited Sheffield United. What are you thinking with Rotherham then, Justin? Prior to this, they had only picked up one point from five games, and I thought that might finally be them succumbing to where I expect them to end up this season, as opposed to floundering around a mid-table, but this result shows what they're capable of. Yeah, I, I disagree with you quite a bit about Rotherham. I don't think they are one of those teams um, who are... I mean, they might have to be fighting a relegation battle at times this season, but I, I think they've got enough quality in their team. I think they've got they've got a really good set of defenders as well. Um, they've got experience. They've got players coming through. You look at Cameron Humphreys, um, Peter Chioso. Um, there's experienced ones, obviously, like Richard Wood. There's a really good group. It's just goals that might be an issue. But I think their performances of late um, have have really impressed me. Um, as I say, the Norwich game was was a good performance. That the rather sorry the Burnley game, although they were they were peppered, um, I thought they were well worth taking their taking the three points home. But obviously, it wasn't to be. Um, so I, I think they are cutting above their weight. Not cutting above the weight. They are performing to a standard that is good enough to stay in the championship. Um, it's just whether or not they can yes yeah, score goals throughout, but. I don't think they will be in the bottom three come the end of the season. I'm quite positive about Rotherham. I have been pretty much all season. A draw would have left them 20th, which shows the tight nature <laughs> of this season's championship. But no, they're sitting rather handsomely in 14th, which Matt Taylor would absolutely be buzzing about. Paul Heckingbottom admitted after the game that it was a huge drop in standard for them. They looked lethargic. And he also said they couldn't make any excuses for the performance. They could have gone top with a win. So it's a massive missed opportunity for them. I think they're one of quite a few sides who will be looking forward to the international break. If they are looking lethargic, they'll obviously appreciate having a month off to recharge the batteries while also give quite a few players time to recover. Many are either injured or, I imagine, playing with knocks. So Sheffield United were brilliant for the first quarter of the season. The second quarter, been up and down. What happens in the third quarter is up to them. They've got Cardiff away this weekend, which they must be looking at and thinking this is a great opportunity for us to get three points and head into the break with a with a spring in our step, which could be big in the grand scheme of things. Being you know having that positivity heading into a month off. Uh, both Ollie McBurney and John Fleck were wearing protective boots after this game. If only they had a month off or something to recover. <laughs> and Michael Carrick got his second win as Middlesbrough boss by beating Blackpool three 0 This was so comfortable for Borough that goalkeeper Zach Steffen was sat down against the goalpost in the 46th minute of this game. He only faced one shot on target in the whole contest. But it wasn't just easy for him. The truth is, three 0 actually flatters. Blackpool, who could have lost 5 or 6 nil on another day. They were dismal, but hats off to Michael Carrick's side here, Justin. Yeah, you're, you're spot on. It was a really, really good performance from Burren. I think before we get started on the football, I need to mention that away support 3,000 to Blackpool on Tuesday night from Middlesbrough, I think is um, mightily impressive, although Blackpool does tend to attract um, a larger away support. I wonder why. Um, but yeah, it was a, it was a really good performance from Borough. They're, they're slowly growing into things and it's almost getting to a point where they don't need this month-long break because it feels like the momentum's just starting to carry with them now. But it will do them good to have more time with Carrick. But yeah, they were free-flowing, attacking. Um, I look at that first goal from Isaiah Jones. He's ghosted into the box from the right-hand side. It's, it's good movement. It's it's what Borough need to be doing, getting players arriving late in the box and, and obviously putting the finishes away. Um, 
yeah, there's 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 a lot of praise you can you can give to this to to this team. I was a bit skeptical. The first two games didn't convince me all that much under Carrick, but the following two games, I think they've been they've been really really good. And he's got players like Chubab playing really really well, better than they were before, um, which is saying something. He's got four and four now under Carrick, which deserves saying. But even him, he's just he's just picking balls up on the edge of the box, getting them out wide and getting in the box. That's all you need from a striker. He's just getting in good areas. I don't think he's finishing it spectacularly he's just getting in good areas and getting on the end of um getting on the end of crosses so yeah a lot to like uh, uh, about Borough and Carrick and, and saying that they're probably going to go and put in a really poor performance at the weekend and make us forget all about this is, is usually the case but got to praise them they've been really really good now yeah, Akpom, you mentioned him there. He's now levelled his best goal tally for a season and it's only November. Keep in mind, he's 27 now. He's older than you think <laughs> he is. So, yeah, pretty remarkable how well he's turned around this season under Carrick. Uh, perhaps the stand of our position has been kind to Mr Carrick in his first few games, but things are looking better, aren't they? I think he's still trying to figure out his best team. I continue to be very unimpressed with Riley McGree playing on the left. I think that idea needs to be caned. Uh, but there's also a lot of talented players on that bench who would walk into the vast majority of championship sides. So it's going to be interesting to see how he moves everything about. He seems pretty set on playing 4-4-2. It's just about putting those pieces in the right place, I suppose, until it clicks. It may need another transfer window for him to have things ideally set how he wants to, but they're only seven points off the top six, Justin. <laughs> Just leaving that there. Uh, I had Blackpool down in the column of teams looking over their shoulder at the threat of relegation. They were in there with a handful of other sides, but they're becoming increasingly closer to being put in the column of penciled in for relegation, Justin. It's a bit strange because similarly to Wigan, I've actually watched Blackpool play well on a number of occasions this season. And in my mind... They should be higher in the table, but three losses on the bounce now. They've been particularly poor in those three games as well. They've only managed four shots on target in total. To be fair, they have had players missing through injury, suspension, and it won't be surprising to hear that Blackpool don't have the biggest of squads. They're one side in particular who I think will be quite thankful for this World Cup break, but without a doubt, they're in serious danger. Yeah, it's, it's, it's coming at the right time, isn't it, the break for them. Um, it has been concerning, uh, the lack of goals, considering that they do have a lot of attacking talent. The lack of goals, again, is concerning. And I think that Jerry Yates spell of, of, of braces they scored perhaps was, was, was quite flattering for him. But at the same time, they haven't been creating too many opportunities for, for the forwards of late. Um, and I think Blackpool are one of those teams that are going to go through the motions. Um, I think we predicted them, I can't remember where we had them, sort of... Um, like 20th, 19th, yeah, I think. Flirting with the bottom three, essentially. And I think they are going to be flirting with the bottom three for, for most of the season um, because it's going to be that type of season for them. Not, they weren't able to recruit massively um, in the summer. There were a lot of players linked that ultimately didn't didn't turn out. Cameron Brannigan of Oxford was was one of them. Weird saga. That didn't play out in Blackpool's favour. And obviously they, they lost Critchley as well. So they, they did go for quite a big transition in the summer. Um, and obviously they lost experience in, in the likes of Richard Keogh as well and they've had injuries they've had unsettled back four Grant Ward who was signed very recently um, played right back for example so yeah they're going to go through the motions um, it's just a case of get a positive result with the weekend go into that break with a different or well, a more more positive mindset and um, yeah give, give Appleton a bit more time to, to get his ideas across because for me they've been conceding far too many chances and far too many goals which is the thing that's letting them down the most 
Justin, let's take a quick break. After that, we'll talk about a surprising win for Huddersfield and João Pedro giving Watford a 2-0 win. back to the second tier podcast fresh off the back of us saying we didn't know where Huddersfield's next win was coming from QPR 1 Huddersfield 2 we also question where the next goal is coming from and the answer is apparently a left back in Josh Ruffles who had only started two games in the last month prior to this game but he scored twice here including a spectacular <laughs> overhead kick outside the box Justin yeah that was um, completely bizarre weirdly there was a reply in one of the comments to uh, to our tweet saying uh, someone's going to score from 30 yards out who's it's going to be his first career goal and it was scary how accurate it was because obviously Ruffles scored the overhead kick from 20 yards out and it was his first goal for Huddersfield or one of his first goals for Huddersfield um, so yeah it was, it was scary accurate how it was and that's just how it goes sometimes you need that sort of look and it was a bit of look because the ball fell kindly to him on both occasions um, but Huddersfield were more than deserving of their win they, they defended brilliantly um, didn't create too much, but they defended fantastically. I think um, QPR broke Leeds' record for most shots in a game, um, but they only had six shots on target, which goes to show just just how how many bodies were on the line um, in in this win. And yeah, they they they, they needed that, and um, I think that will give them a little bit of confidence going into the weekend, and hopefully get another positive result to take that into the World Cup break. But yes. We are the second tier, and we curse teams or reverse curse <laughs> curse teams. Yeah, it was a battling performance. They had to rely on some heroic defending as well as saves from Lee Nichols. But they battled away, earned themselves a huge three points. I don't think anyone can have a go at Huddersfield's attitudes. They're fighting to stay up. We saw that in this game. It's just been about the quality that they've got. But this win and the decent result at the weekend would send them into the World Cup on a less negative note. <laughs> I wouldn't say a positive, less negative note. Um but QPR, what is going on there, Justin? Since McBeal rejected Wolves, they beat Wigan. They've now picked up just one point from four games. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a strange one because I don't think they were bad here. They created some really good chances. I just thought they were really wasteful. Um, they had 14 corners, for example, um, and you didn't take advantage of one of them. Come on, you scored in the second minute and you create as many chances as you do throughout the game. Um, should be building on that, and I just think it comes down to that. They were just, um, they were just really, really wasteful. Um, and I think the two goals that Huddersfield scored as well were avoidable. The ball's bouncing around. Uh, Huddersfield caused a little bit of chaos with the set pieces. Got to defend those. Got to defend those. Get them away and, and regroup. Um, and I just think it comes down to that. Um, they're just lacking that clinical edge in the final third defensively as well. Um, so as I said, I don't think performances have been too bad. I know I predicted the performance, but actually they've not been they've not been poor by any means. They're just not getting results, um, and it's uh, it's a shame. But I don't think there's anything to read into it. I just I just think they've they've got injuries. They're going through the motions a little bit, um, and they'll be looking to get into that. Uh, yeah, like a lot of teams get into that World Cup breaking, just get bodies back out the uh, out the physio room. They've got Coventry away coming up this weekend, yeah, okay. so a tricky one with Coventry <laughs> in form. As Jao Pedro double gave Watford a 2-0 win over Reading. Comfortable win in the end for Watford. The only irritating thing for them will be that it took so long for them to get a second goal. Yeah, it was a, a good performance. And arguably, I think, that one of their best ones this season other than the um, win against Luton is probably one of their, their, their best, well, second best one, actually. Um, yeah, it was, a, it was a controlling performance from them. Um, as you say, they just... 
frustrating thing is he didn't build upon the um, the, the, the first goal. Um, but there were a lot of positives to, to come through. I thought Hamza Chowdhury was brilliant. Um, Jao Pedro was was at his best. Ken Semmer at left back was was fantastic. He sort of, I feel like he could come across as a, as a good left back because size wise he's he's got the physicality to do it, and also he's he's very good going forwards. Um, and I just think he lacks the uh, agility to, to to be an out and out wide player if that makes sense maybe I'm doing him a bit disservice but he just looks like a he just looks like he'd be a very good left back um but he was here and and, and that's um that's credit to to, to Bilic for, for putting him there because Kamara's been in fairly poor form um but yeah it was it was, a, it was a top top performance and I think yeah a lot of positives to take from it and again it's another win it's another clean sheet um Bilic will be very happy after relatively poor performance of the weekend yeah, they kept Reading at arm's length, restricting them to just one shot on target. It's now four wins in five for the Hornets, up to fifth with this win. I'm curious, Justin, do you still <laughs> think they won't finish in the top six? I'm I'm getting more and more convinced by them. Um, I think he's found a nice balance. I still think they need a midfielder to come in. Uh, Kiembe's been okay, but he's he's not the midfielder they, they need. I think Chowdhury's hitting a, a, a form that is that we expect of him. Um, coming from the Premier League and, and being a good uh, a good player, so I think if they can get a midfielder in, in January um, to to add to as well as Lauser, I think um, I think they'll be uh, they'll be okay. But it's just about piecing it all together, and he's starting to do that. Billich, he's starting to piece it together slowly, um, but I, I'm not getting I'm not getting too excited just yet. But I am getting more and more convinced. Considering you've been banging the drum recently for Watford not finishing in the top six, you've said it <laughs> on multiple occasions now. You are you are very easily swayed, aren't you? With these, uh, with these kind of things, um, I can't help but feel as if we're getting flashbacks to the Iska Munoz season with this Watford side, where they start slow, sat the manager, and then they begin moving through the gears and become a side to be seriously feared as the season goes on. The fifth in the table now, despite the likes of Saar, Pedro, two of the best players in the division, giving me the impression that they've got a lot more to give. And if that is the case, that's a worry for the rest of the sides in the championship. Now, this team isn't the finished article. I think they've got to get bodies in during January, particularly at fullback and in centre mid. But probably probability that they'll get better as the season goes on is a bit frightening when they're four points off the top two already. So I'm pretty confident they'll finish in the top six. And I think they could go on to provide the biggest challenge to the likes of Burnley and Sheffield United for the top two because we know the strength is there in terms of quality of player and depth as well and manager for that matter it's just about having the final little pieces added to it and Burnley and Sheffield United still need you know little uh, bits added to adding to them as well so Watford can definitely provide a serious challenge to them as the season goes on it's just about uh, maintaining the progression that we're seeing under Billich so far four points from a possible 24 for Reading now I'm starting to get a bit worried that our pre-season expectations of a relegation battle with them may be coming true after all Justin <laughs> don't tell Reading fans that um, <laughs> I think many uh, of them are thinking that as well <laughs> yeah it's it's been a poor run of form I don't think some of the performances have been too bad um, but yeah this, this run of form is, is a major worry the lack of goals is, is concerning as well um, considering the amount of Really good attacking players that they've got, the likes of Vince, Zhao, Mete, I think Hendrik hasn't really impressed since the first few games of the season. Um, there's a lot of 
potential for chance creation there. I just think Ince is perhaps playing with the handbrake on a little bit too much. Um, I think if he just releases it just a little bit, I think he can get more out of his team. Um, I just I, I just think he's scared of opening the team up. If you go back to last season, how bad they were defensively, I just think he's worried. He's just getting flashbacks of that. Um, but yeah, I think he just needs to be more confident in, in, in the attacking players that he's got because he's got a really good wealth of options to him. Much better than quite a few teams in the division, actually. Um, but I just don't think he's getting the best out of them. And that's where I think Reading's issues are lying because I don't think they're ever going to be the best defensive team in the division. Um, but they've certainly got more available to them at their disposal to get to get to get more out of them. You look at this game against Watford, they should have should have thrown a few more punches, but they didn't. I thought they were quite blunt, quite lacklustre. Um and that's a massive shame, as I say, with the the players that they got available. Lucas Shaw, one of the best forwards in, in or can be one of the best strikers, number nine in the in the championship, has looked a shadow of himself. Um I don't think that's all ints, but I think he can get more out of this team. I think it's a bit mad that there seems to be an increasing number of Reading fans calling for Paul Ince to go. I mean, they're thirteenth, <laughs> Justin. Which, I mean, that just speaks for itself, really, doesn't it? Yes, the form isn't great, but there needs to be some perspective on the matter. The majority of people didn't give Reading a cat's chance in hell of staying up, including us. And assuming they did stay up, that would be mostly down to their early season form and. I think Reading will be in a relegation battle. I always thought that would be the case despite the results earlier in the season. But calls for Paul Ince to be sacked are very premature for me. If this current run of form continues into around February time, then a decision will have to be made. But he's got this group of players performing before. I see no reason why he can't do it again. So I definitely stick with Paul Ince for mm. the foreseeable future. Well into after the World Cup anyway, because uh, I just don't see the point in getting rid of him at this point. Yeah, um, could, could just add that. I think Ince absolutely. is probably a victim of his own success there. Um, that early season success is just probably, compare it to now, I think it's just being a little bit problematic for him. Um, and I think fans are comparing that, that start to the season to what it is now. If they were 13th and they've, Won, won a couple of games drawn a couple of games lost a couple of games here and there rather than winning them all at the start of the season I think expectations would have been a little bit more tempered so I just think Ince is just suffering a little bit from his early season success Well that happens quite often with managers don't it Justin where they start well and then things drift off as the season goes on and then because of the expectations that have been caused by the early season form mm-hmm. then managers get an unfair rap really don't they um, we've seen that happen plenty of occasions in the time yeah. that we've done this podcast and maybe it's the same thing happening here having said that I think many people are expecting Reading to be in a relegation battle so um, we'll have to wait and see Hall came from 2-1 down to beat Cardiff 3-2 and give Liam Rosinha his first win in charge of the Tigers what a turnaround for Rosinha's boys Justin yeah it was it was really good after after going 1-0 up and then 2-1 down I think they showed a lot of character and a lot of bravery as well because I think if you if you make the area they made, I think it was for the Cardiff equaliser. Um, you, you know, teams who are in poor form like Hull are can easily drop into a um, drop into their shell a little bit, but they didn't. They carried on. They kept doing what they were doing, and uh, it paid dividends for them. But yeah, I think this was just a um, a really good example of how Rusinia ball can work. I do think that the goal they conceded wasn't necessarily a victim of Rusinia ball. I just think that the defenders were too slow in possession, and the keeper was too slow in possession. And the ball should have never gone into Seri, for example. Um, but I thought they were really good. Regan Slater's a fantastic addition. Um, you could almost argue that he'd, he'd be doing a d- 
decent job in the in the Sheffield United team at the moment. Um, but considering they paid fifty grand for him, it's a very very smart um, smart transfer last January. Um, because it's worth mentioning. Regan Slater was at Sheffield United before. That's why Justin said that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, again, he, he put in a top performance. He's been brilliant on all, all season. But yeah, this was a, a really good example of how Rosinha ball can work. Um, they created a really good amount of chances. They put in some good crosses, got into some good areas. Just need a Stupinan in there to, to to put the chances away. Yeah, Regan Slater. The two goals, including the winner, has been ever-present for the Tigers this season. Had to play in numerous different positions as well, but looks mm-hmm. as if he's becoming a bit of a fan favourite at the KCOM Stadium. Dimitris Pelkas played well. Greek attacker on loan for Fenerbahce caught my eye here. It does seem like confidence is beginning to grow at Hull, doesn't it? Despite the odd defensive calamity. There are definite signs of improvement in the very early stages of the Rosinia project. Hall, I think, will be another side who are thankful for the World Cup break so Rosinia can give them a good drilling over the next month, so so to speak. Um, (laughs) uh, Cardiff boss Mark Hudson called his players naive after letting the lead slip in this one. It's five losses from seven for them now. They're 18th. Definitely looking over their shoulder a bit, aren't they? Commentary have now won three games on the bounce after a 2-0 victory at home to Wigan. That victory, Ocarez goal, Justin, talk me through that one. Yeah, it was it was good. I don't know if you're just giving it the bigger though. I think the touch is velvet, the touch is lovely, the run is brilliant and the finish is incisive. But I, I feel like I've seen Gokarez do that quite often this season, which is why I'm not off my seat for it. It's almost like a, oh, he did it again sort of thing. But it was a beautiful goal and I'm probably not selling it the way you wanted to sell it. So you might do a better job, but it was a really good ball in. Gokarez is touches with fantastic close control and the finish was incisive maybe you should give it a bit more gold gold yeah, dust just in page doing his typical thing of completely <laughs> underselling a brilliant goal i think it's amazing how at no point does he look like he's sprinting but still manages to fly away from the wigan defenders who he made them look like they were running in gravy because they were trying to chase him down, but just didn't get close to him. And then the strength to hold off the player on the halfway line, the skill to do that touch, and then the composure with the finish at the end of it all. I think it was a goal that required so much in terms of, you know, mental capability, technical ability, and physicality. And he showed all of it there. So I think he deserves a lot of credit for that goal. But Coventry are flying now. Up to 12th, 19 points from a possible 24. Still got two games in hand on most sides <laughs> in the division as well. So who knows how far this side can go. On the other end, of the scale is Wigan. One point from seven games now for them, which is a pretty dismal tally, isn't it? And then the final game for midweek, an 89th minute goal from Troy Deeney gains Birmingham a point against Swansea. 2-2, that game finished. Quickly, anything on that game, Justin? I thought Birmingham missed Bielik. Lost the shape in the midfield a little bit. Um, but again, really good character from Birmingham. Swansea conceding a fair few goals at the moment, which is a little bit concerning. Need to improve. Right, now it's time for this. Yes, it's time for the news. And Luton boss Nathan Jones is expected to be joining Southampton as their new manager following the departure of Ralph Hasenhutl this week. In typical podcast fashion, I expect that to be announced as soon as we put out this episode, purely just to spite us. Meanwhile, Luton have apologised to supporters after the, quote, 
ladies team had their game postponed just moments before kickoff it led to a big backlash on social media over the alleged reasons why it was called off but the clubs called them unverified responses 800 fans were at kenilworth road for the game before the ground staff decided the the game was unplayable because of a downpour of rain interesting week for Luton Town. We'll, we'll leave it at that. Uh, Cardiff caretaker boss Mark Hudson has confirmed he's been offered the job until the end of the season. No real shock here. The club weren't looking for anyone else to take the role, so it only made sense for that to happen. Uh, I think it's going to be confirmed in the coming days from what he's been saying in the press. Ben Barrington-Diaz has told TalkSport he'll be staying at Blackburn until the end of the season. He's out of contract next summer. Two things I took away from this, Justin. Of course, huge news for Blackburn because he's been central to their success for this season. But then the other thing is, it looks as if he's saying he's off by the end of this season. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And also he said that he seemed very confident that we'll get into the playoffs as well, which is fair enough. Um, but yeah, I think it just lends to what we were saying over the summer that I think Blackburn are going to lose our, lose out on a big wage of money that they really could have used to, to, to invest into the team. And I think considering... The lack of chances they created, they probably could have done with it. Um, lack of chances they created this season. But I think it is a positive because as Blackburn fans were reasoning when we were talking about him being sold or needing to be sold to reinvest, if he scores the goals that gets him into the playoffs, he's been worth his worth the investment, I guess, an £8 million fee if you're expecting any region of that for him. Um, so, yeah, I just think it depends where you sit. If you want your club to, to reinvest the quality and not lose its main assets... Or key assets for nothing, um, then it's disappointing. But if you if you really do believe that Ben Barrington Diaz can can fire you into the playoffs, then it's a major major positive. But if it doesn't get into the playoffs, if Blackburn don't get into the playoffs, I think it's been a right old cock up. Well, it's something we were saying back in the summer. Yeah. They've it's looking very likely now that they're going to lose Ben Barrington Diaz, Joe Rothwell, Davil Enahan, Ryan Liambe. I feel like I'm missing someone else from that um, mm. group who all going to be heading out the door for absolutely nothing. And I don't think that's good business sense. Sure, fo uh, football fans would love to hold on to these players for as long as possible, but if you're not selling them for a good amount of money, then that's a lot of money going out the door, isn't it? So hopefully Batburn have learned from that now. They're obviously giving plenty of academy players uh, chances in the team this, this season. Um, but yeah, it doesn't help Blackburn in the long term does it because if they lose Ben Barrett and Diaz for nothing this summer then they won't be able to reinvest the money that they could have got from him back into the squad and that's not good is it um Middlesbrough have complained to the police over racist abuse directed towards striker Tuba Akpom on social media it was after the draw to Bristol City at the weekend the club contacted Twitter over the content of the post but the website deemed it not to be in violation of their rules and Borough have called that completely unacceptable Cleveland police say inquiries are ongoing Getting off topic here about football, Justin, but it's ludicrous that Twitter have deemed it not to be in violation of its rules. No, not sure what's happened there. Uh, Wigan defender Jason Kerr is out for the rest of the season. He suffered a serious knee injury during their game with Swansea at the weekend. Massive blow for the Latics this one. He's been a key player with one point from seven games. Very testing times for them. Mm -hmm. Cardiff owner Vincent Tan has been speaking this week to the local media about his ownership of the club. Now, fans have been calling for him to sell up and leave. He says if they're so smart, maybe they should plough in their own money or ask a rich Welshman, probably a billionaire, to buy this club and take it to the Premier League. I'm sure these comments will have gone down very well, Justin. I don't know how you can make yourself more dislikable than that really <laughs> condescending rant he's just put out. It's just truly, truly bizarre. For the whole 
tenure, for his whole tenure, he's just pissed the fans off. Um, yeah, the changing of the um, the the shirt colours, just weird investment. Just it's just he's just a strange guy, um, and he clearly doesn't care that much about the football club. He's just putting the money in. Um, and I think if Cardiff supporters had a chairman who put in less money but really cared, I think that will go a lot longer, a lot th- a lot further than what Vincent Tanny is doing right now. You need you need to feel like your club is loved, and Cardiff don't have that. And it's just a major, major disappointment, I think, um, that, that it's that position. He's getting to a point where, yeah, he's just being super condescending in, um, in his interviews. It's needless. It's needless. It's your fault the club's in this position because of your terrible decision-making, because you're putting people in the wrong position. Um, Putting wrong people in the uh, in the right positions, or putting yeah wrong people in in positions that need to have the right people in, it's just super disappointing, and um, I think it just goes a long way of what Cardiff fans despair at the moment. It's yeah frustrating. Yeah, it's not surprising these kind of comments from Vincent Tan, is it? I think that's safe to say. Brian Tinian has been appointed Bristol City's new technical director. He had been charged had been in charge of the academy and now oversee the club's recruitment. The Daily Mirror says Birmingham's prospective owners, new owners, are holding talks with American property tycoon Michael Fuchs about potential investment. The two men are trying to take over the club, uh, but apparently are not the richest in terms of footballers, football owners. Uh, so this makes sense that they're trying to get more investment. The Athletic is reporting Watford are in talks with Eintracht Frankfurt director of football Ben Manga to be their new sporting director. Discussions are said to be at a detailed stage and Watford want him to be in position during the World Cup. And finally, Australia have announced their World Cup squad and it includes Stoke defender Harry Souter. Now he's been out with a knee injury for the last year, as we mentioned earlier in the episode. I think I'd be a bit annoyed if I was Stoke Justin. They've been rushing, uh, they've been nursing him back to full fitness, and now Australia risking him despite having only played one senior game in the last year, which I think is a <laughs> not too sure about that one. I think you're just angst about it because you love him so much, and you just don't want anything yes. to happen to him because that is exactly what's happening, Justin. <laughs> yeah, because up until his injury last season, it was episode every episode pretty much you were just banging the drum and I think even mm-hmm. I got sick of it um, uh, and I wouldn't say I was yeah, I definitely wouldn't say I was glad he's injured but the the year we've had without him has been nice and quiet in that sense um, but I think it's actually probably a positive that he's going to the World Cup um, because he's going to get game time he's going to get he's going to be in an envi- a good environment um, and I don't think Australia that daft to risk him because he's not played any games he's I mean he's likely to pick up a mus- muscle injury if you just chuck him into a 90 minutes um, so I think they'll use him sparingly I'd have thought Justin Peach quote I'm glad Harry Souter got injured <laughs> put that on Twitter see how that goes down <laughs> <laughs> right now it's time for this Diddy yes sir you mind telling me why the hell you never mentioned this before? Yes, it's time for Diddy or Didn't He. This is the part of the show where we have 10 players with various connections to the championship and a club. All we've got to do is guess whether they played for that club or not. He's got to have made a senior appearance for them. We're taking in turns to guess them and we keep scores as the season goes on. This week, it's Justin's turn to guess and my turn to provide the questions. Now, there was controversy last week in Diddy or Didn't He. Justin Peach asked me whether Sean Derry played for Sheffield United. I guess that he didn't. Justin told me that I was correct. But he actually did. So, Justin, you've got a decision to make. Did I get six last week or will you let me keep the point as a show of sportsmanship and to apologise for your incompetence? I I will apologise for my incompetence. Um, 
for some reason, I didn't think Sean Derry's career existed before he played for Portsmouth. I thought, um, I thought the only the only time Sheffield United existed was after the year two thousand when Neil Warnock took charge. Um, so it's it's a massive apology to Blades fans for completely forgetting that that you only have to go period. on Wikipedia, mate. It's, yeah, it's not well, I was, <laughs> I was, but I just I failed to look past. Um, I failed to look past. Um, actually, no, I think I just assumed actually, but anyway. A massive apology. Um, you can retain your points because it's not as a view of sportsmanship. It's just as a, a, a major regret of incompetence. I appreciate your act of sportsmanship. No. Now, let's see how you get on this week, Justin. That means the score as things stand is 50-50. Very tight as it continues to be here on Diddy or Didn't See. So we'll see how Justin gets on this week with his first question, which is this. Timu Puki and Valencia. Did he or didn't he? Wait, what? Mm, gone outside <laughs> the box here. What? Um, I'm no. <laughs> this is outrageous. Oh, well, I've got to answer it, but I'll say yes because it just seems so out there. Why not? He didn't. Got your hook, line, Don't and sinker there, son. <laughs> what is that? Is there anything in the rules to? Not say that you can't that we oh. can't use foreign teams. God, you'd be crying if I did this anyway. No, next one. no, no I think you, would. you did, didn't you? Not too long ago, I think you said no. Solbamba PSG. No, no, that was, that was just a, a bonus one. I didn't well, count to anything. It, well, it's it's not outside the rules as far as I'm concerned. Uh, I've checked the Diddy or Dinty handbook. Um, that means it's zero out of one for Justin Peach. Next up, Ryan Bertrand and Bournemouth. Diddy or Dinty? Ryan Bertrand and Bournemouth. That's an interesting one. Um, yeah, I don't. I don't think he did. I think he he emerged in that 2012 season and anything before that with championship loans, which obviously Bournemouth weren't. So I'm going to say no. Mm. No, I'm going to say yes. So you're saying he did? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm saying he did. Right, that's twice you've changed around to the last time, so um, it's very confusing. Uh, he had two loan spells in the mid 2000s, but only made a total of five appearances. So correct. <sighs> One out of two for Justin Peach. Next up, James Vaughan and Portsmouth. Did he or didn't he? Mm. I'm going to say no. That's a good one, though. Ten appearances on loan in 2019. 2019? Yeah. yeah, towards the end of his career. That means one out of three. For Justin Peach. Next up, Mark Noble and Ipswich. Did he or didn't he? Yeah, I recall this. He did play for Ipswich. Completely passed me by. I thought he was a one-club man. Uh, 13 appearances on loan in 2006. It's all a lie. It's all a lie. It's all a lie. Fraudulent. Um, Next up, James Beattie and Wigan. Did he or didn't he? He was a coach at Wigan. He is a coach at Wigan now. Mm. Yeah, but I don't think he played for them. Fine answer. Yes. Sorry, I just want to make sure because you've got a habit <laughs> of changing your answers at the last minute here. Uh, yeah, I made it up. Three out of five for Justin Peach. Um, yeah, for some reason I thought he had played for Wigan, so that's why I threw it in. Um, Ali Al Habsi and Brighton. Did he or didn't he? Can only can only picture him playing for Bolton and Wigan. Um, 
But I've just got a sneaky feeling that Brighton may have brought him in as a third choice and he, and he made one appearance in a cup competition. Um, but I just can't remember it at all. I feel like it's something I'd remember. I'll say yes. <laughs> one appearance on loan in 2014. <laughs> Did play for Reading as well. I remember that. Yeah. 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 I think. Cool. Um, four out of six for Justin Peach. Next up, Josh King and Preston. Did he or didn't he? Yeah, I remember that. That happened. That amazes me that you remember that. Um, eight appearances on loan in 2010. Correct. Mm. Five out of seven. Alan Judge and Everton. Did he or didn't he? Yeah, Alan Judge is one of those players who, before Ipswich, not got, uh, sorry, before Brentford, not got a clue. No idea. Don't, I feel like he was just he was a plonk there. He just, someone gave birth to a 25-year-old in the middle of Griffin Park. and it He was, was very talented at football. He was very talented but very at football. Capable, but very capable of injuries. <laughs> yes. Um, so honestly, I have no idea. But I'm going to say yes. He came through Everton's ranks and he made a substitute appearance in a game somewhere. He didn't. Got your hotline oh. sinker, mate. <laughs> <laughs> exactly what I wanted you to think. <laughs> you yeah, bastard. This, this game is so much more about psychology now yeah. at this point than actual football knowledge. <laughs> it's brilliant. <laughs> Five out of eight for Justin. Next up, Kieran Gibbs and Norwich. Did he or didn't he? Yeah, I don't know. This is, a, this is one that I remember again. I, I, yeah. He played for Norwich. Seven appearances on loan in 2008. That means six out of nine. Here's your final one. Ashley Cole and Wimbledon. Did he or didn't he? Oh, oh, you've you've picked some really, really good ones uh, this Mm. week. Um, no idea. I've got no idea. I don't think he had a loan spell. I think he played at Arsenal pretty young. Um, so I'm going to say no. He's he's also too flash, I think, to play for Wimbledon. He me. didn't. Made it up. Yeah. Seven out of ten for Justin. Feels like he did a lot worse there than seven out of ten. Which I is actually... that, it was just that pukey one. Apps. No, that's not happening. Three, yeah. That is not happening. Um, Ashley Cole did have a loan spell at Crystal Palace, which I thought you would have remembered, which is really irritating because it sounds like if I went for that, you wouldn't have got that. Absolutely. Fine margins. Because one of the issues with this game is I have absolutely no idea what you remember and what you don't remember. How the hell do you remember Kieran Gibbs playing for Norwich? Completely passed me by. But I remember Ashley Cole playing for Crystal Palace. No, yeah, it's my knowledge is strange. I, I think it's those peak championship years when I was growing up, absolutely invested in football. Um, those are the sort of the loan spells I remember, like the Josh King one. It was Darren Ferguson's manager. Um, I don't know why I remember it. It's like the Andy Carroll's. I was able to replay Andy Carroll's only goal for Preston yeah. with great description. It still blows my mind, that one. Anyway, that means the score for the season is 57-50 to Justin Peach. So we'll see how I get on again next week. Um, but it is the last round of games before the World Cup coming up this Sunday, ladies and gentlemen. So let's make the most of it while we still can, guys. Listener, you'll be glad to know we'll still be providing you with two shows a week focusing on all things to do with the championship if you're not as interested in this morally confusing World Cup as you usually would be. So without a doubt, 
we'll have a, an episode coming up this Sunday to talk about all the championship games, but then we'll continue providing out all the content that we can for you on a bi-weekly basis, ladies and gentlemen. So this has been the Second Tier Podcast. We look forward to seeing you again on Sunday. Is bi-weekly right, or is that tw- is that once every two weeks? Yeah, I've heard many de- uh, many podcasts debate what bi-weekly means, whether it's twice a week or once every two weeks. Mm. I think it's I think it's linear. I think it's fluid. I think we can we can interpret In that case, it however we want. The bi-weekly podcasts continue here on the second tier, even though there is no championship football after this weekend. Uh, Listener, we look forward to seeing you on Sunday. This has been the Second Tier Podcast. I've been Ryan Dilks. I've been Justin Peach. And a big thank you for listening.